Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. On this episode, we've got Rory Fairbairns. Uh, the co-founder and CEO of One Year No Beer. Rory, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Chuff to have you. With typical fashion, anyone who's listening to this last couple of episodes are probably sick of how I started, but we always go back to the start, chapter one, and work our way from there. So you grew up Isle of Mull. The only the thing, the oh, it is, we actually, the third last guest was from Shetland Islands, so we're doing a tour cool. of the islands of Scotland. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the only thing I know about the Who was that? We might be related. It was Gavin. Yeah, I, I fell for the joke. Um, uh, Peter Bonetti retired there, former Chelsea and England goalkeeper, World Cup medal holder. That's the only thing I know about it. Now I know that Rory Fairbairns is from there. Any favorite memories growing up on the island? Oh, loads. Mal was wild, wilderness. We grew up without a TV. And we built huts and trees and we used to dive off the top of tall trees into rhododendron bushes because they're like trampolines. And 13 years old, I wrote off my first car. And you're like, how are you even driving at 13? Never mind writing them off. And nearly set fire to the local village at 15. Wild times on the Isle of Mull. It's amazing. Beautiful place to grow up. Wow. Yeah, certainly sounds like it. Who do you think had the biggest impact on you while you were growing up? My dad, for sure. My dad was, growing up was tough for me. Sure it was for many people, but I had an overreactive ADHD, hyperactive brain. My parents were offered an ultimatum at six years old. It was either drugs or counseling. And I'm really fortunate that they chose counseling because it started the process of me trying to understand what was going on in this hyperactive brain of mine. And 12, 13, I was really struggling, attempted suicide at 13 years old. And the second attempt, it was a bit of a miracle that I survived. And coming back from that, my dad was desperate to try and help me see what he saw. And the world would call me bad and naughty because of the misbehavior and the hyperactivity. And my dad just called me gifted and special. And he was desperate for me to try and see that. And he you know, asked me if I had a mentor or somebody who I aspired and I was like Richard Branson and so he encouraged me to write a letter to Richard Branson at 14 years old and what I what I didn't realize was just how much of a a sort of focal point that would create it's interesting reflecting back today but what my dad was doing was helping create hope Uh, and there was some interesting research into hope last year which showed that of the obvious things that recovery from cancer are are dramatically increased with hope but also recovery from injury and performance in students. Hope is actually really powerful. And so this has actually been a guiding part was that at such a young age, my dad had fostered this element of hope into my life. And what we'll get onto this a bit later, I'm sure I got too into the nitty gritty already, but what's interesting is that alcohol actually breeds hopelessness. Um, alcohol fosters feelings of hopelessness and despair and uh, so it was really interesting to seed through my life of hope 
Why Richard Branson? He was, my dad also admired Richard and there'd been things written about him and my dad was an entrepreneur. My dad had a recording studio up in Scotland. He tried lots and lots of different businesses. And so there were quite a lot of similarities between Richard and my dad. The I've told the story thousands and thousands of times and almost every single investor we've brought onto One Year No Beer, I've told the story. I've told it at events and live events we've done. And last year in... I think February, somebody popped up and said, hey, I've just seen your message about writing letters to Richard Branson. I'm going to meet him on Necker Island this year. Would you like to come with me? And cut a long story short, I'd gone through all the, the, the parts and was going to go off to Necker Island in June last year. And sadly, COVID hit. And all the way through that, I was so excited about sitting beside the organizer of the whole event loved the story he was like i'm gonna sit you next to richard so you can tell him about the story because it's so powerful and richard barely drinks now so he'll really love your story and then COVID hit and the trip got cancelled and my dad died a month later and i was looking forward to sitting there and facetiming with richard there like having made this whole journey so i know i still know to this day that i will enjoy lunch with richard at some point and yeah. just have to hold the memory of my dad uh, at the time. I was going to say that it's definitely not over. You'll definitely still have time to uh, get out to Nectar Island at some point. Yeah, um, exactly. That was one of my questions around, did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? You, you've somewhat answered that with your dad because you said you left school at 15 to sell and service PCs on the island. But 25, yeah. you tried five different businesses, which employed 10 people for three years. You now live just outside of Edinburgh for any of our international audiences. You can be more specific for our Irish and Scottish audiences if you want. I can be even, we've updated <laughs> since then. So at the moment, I live in Mallorca. Um, oh, wow. After the first lockdown. So we were in Edinburgh. We had a, a team in Edinburgh and an office in Edinburgh. And after the first lockdown, we went fully remote. We were already fairly remote anyway. And that gave us the push to go fully remote. And we were admiring other companies around the world pre-COVID that were fully remote. And so we said, for fully remote, why am I in Scotland? My dad had just passed. Yeah. I was facing a winter, grieving my father in Scotland, which I didn't fancy. And um, so we hopped and skipped out here. Best decision we ever made. And if someone was to either move to Mallorca or visit Mallorca, what one thing would you say they should definitely do? Oh, one thing, Mallorca it is an amazing island. I, I would say put your kids into the school we've put them into, which was one of the big drivers for us coming here. The school's main motivation are meditation, outdoor learning, nutrition, and creating the next entrepreneurs. And so they're very loosely following the academic system, but the most important thing for them is to create happy, healthy entrepreneurs, which is what we want um, for our kids. And the whole what's going on in England and the 11 plus and the forced to study and lots of studying hours and all this stuff, it's just wrong. And it's been proven wrong. In fact, Holly Branson herself is leading a charge to try and disrupt education in the UK at the moment to try and change this rhetoric that we need to be forcing our kids to do so many hours of, of study to get grades, to go to universities. It's just not needed. I didn't need university. And I think the biggest thing for me was, and, and why I've enjoyed going back to my school and speaking to some of the kids there and, and all of that, is I was a really disruptive kid. I was very disruptive in school. 
and um, I left school before the legal age and I went straight into running businesses. By the time they were coming out of university at 24, I'd been running businesses for nine years compared to somebody who'd come out of university who'd basically been drinking and partying for 50% of their time and studying mm. about a single thing, which in often case, much of what they're studying is actually information from two or three years prior, which we know today yeah. is basically obsolete in two or three years time in tech and all of it. I'm being harsh on it because obviously no, no, not my at own all. agenda, but I just, I'm not an advocate of the academic system and going into university. And I think the university of life is far more revealing. I so I get think, my kids out to work immediately. <laughs> I definitely think there's an alternative. I, I imagine the Irish and the UK education system are, are, are somewhat of the same at the core kind of maths, English that you learn. And the reason why I'm in agreement with you that there's an alternative, there's a better alternative is because in the Irish education system, when you do your is it a, a levels is the way you do it. The, the second one, GCSE is their first a levels is called leaving certificate in Ireland. And you get rated out of 600 points. So, your top six exams, you get 100 points for each one. So percent, whatever percent you get, that's how many points you get. I got 355, and that would be kind of average. I'm guessing average. And I have this internal joke amongst my close friends and family that if a word's longer than seven letters, don't ask me what it means. I, <laughs> seven? I'm on four. <laughs> <laughs> it's a way of me... Uh, Slagging myself before someone else slags me. Yes, that's so, and that's so Irish that, and Scottish, isn't it? Yeah, but I felt there's a lot of other people that would be in my shoes. And luckily enough, now I've come to learn that, hey, I'm not the brightest when it comes to academia, but I'm actually really smart in this and this area, which I'm zoning in on to become a, a better individual. And, and I just think there's potentially people out there that, that might not come from a home that fosters the best out of each individual and that the... Mm, yeah mainstream way of teaching uh, only caters for a specific individual so i'm with you on that totally totally yeah that's the thing is it didn't it it, i I didn't fit into the system the way the system operated (laughs) Mm. (laughs) fishing cycling you're a dog owner you've been on holidays to places like the alps sweden i'm assuming with your wife because she's swedish that's right. Uh, I see she you've is. been to a cricket game. You've done Spartan races. What's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people know? Oh, I guess not a lot of people know that I'm now heavily into paddle, which is a Spanish originating sport, which is a mixture between tennis and squash played in a group of four. And it's very fast. It's very sociable. It's funny. It's frustrating. And yes, yeah, so I'm playing that three times a week at the moment uh, with a group of guys out here. So um, not a lot of people know that. Nice. Yeah, sir. I'd, I had never heard of it before. Look, when you left Isle of Mull, I know you fixed and sold PCs out there. You worked in sales for, give or take, four years afterwards. Why did you decide after these four years of working in sales to leave the corporate world once again? What lessons did you take from those kind of three, four years in sales? Yeah, well, great question. So the first job was selling gas and electric door to door. And I picked up an early mentor of mine, Danny Williams, and he's a big guy, so big that he used to sit almost in the back seat when he drove his, <laughs> his, his BMW. And um, he just used to literally abuse me, smack me about the head, get back out there again. And I found that that style of boss I actually thrived under. So I ended up being the longest standing member. 
we changed a few things about how we were selling and we ended up being the star salespeople there and we were making really good money 18 19 i was making a grand to three grand a week and staying in the hilton hotel in glasgow and partying most weekends we we were doing well but then i wanted to get more serious into sales so i took on the and it all came from the original company i was like i need to go and learn how to sell so i went and learned door to door and that was you learn how to be incredibly resilient doing that i tell you door to door sales and then the corporate sales for caterpillar just taught me how to do more solution based sales you could be selling a, a machinery for 6 months building a relationship with guys and um, so that was another whole string to the bow and then i was i started picking up some products on the side and selling them to the customers that i was seeing it was other stuff tech and things like that and i saw this big deal to tarmac and i thought you know what i can actually create a sales or uh, sales agency out of this so that's when we led to leave there and set up a sales agency and that's the business that i grew 10 10 employees for 3 years in edinburgh and so all of the, these junctures led on to another one and there were the failures came thick and fast in that time i was trying to do too many things at once and i wasn't i was rushing at things always rushed um and not doing the proper planning or preparation and also not having the right people to have my accountant write my legal documents just that phrase cost me quarter of a million pounds and the, put the nail in the coffin on a business so yeah the failures were thick and fast and that's when i went back to the pub on the isle of mull and i was sitting there having a few pints and fifth point deep telling some pals the story all the stories and one guy was like oh you're a failpreneur and i was like yes i am a serial failpreneur and he said i know where failpreneurs go they go for that tv program the apprentice so i dutifully never seen it in my life but went up and and filled out the application form and got accepted after 6 months of interviews for the tv program the apprentice which started the journey down to london and i never actually went on the show that time they said you're going on and signed the contract the bags and everything and they said look i can't explain it you're not going on the show this time we'll fly you back to scotland so i was in the airport and thinking there's no way i'm going back with my tail between my legs to scotland where's the next flight going to oh look ibiza i'll go there i went to ibiza and bumped into an oil broker and he got me the job as an oil broker in london <laughs> yeah, well with with all of that in sales then working at the the i don't know if it was called caterpillar but then it's been bought by them yeah. since but at that company and 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 what led you to potentially getting on the apprentice you must have done a lot of networking and i know that if you were to continue to tell that story you you you'll tell me how that actually led you to meet the Dal- dalai lama so yes. you must be really good at networking what would you say to any other business owner or someone who wants to get into business who's skeptical about networking oh you can't be skeptical about networking and it's all about the network I mean i think it's the, the key thing is just think about how you can offer value to other people and offer them value and just keep offering value and offering value and if you find with somebody or some people that it's a one way street then you know turn it off or slow it down and if you find for others it may not if i look at how i've engaged people in the past for instance we got joe desena the founder of spartan to invest in one year no beer and that came through a chance conversation with somebody who said oh um i know joe de senator at spartan and he put me on the phone to joe 
and just randomly in that moment and I had to think on my toes and Joe went you do what you know hang on a minute here's my wife and he put me onto his wife and I then spent 45 minutes coaching his wife and to change her relationship with alcohol and then he put back and he was like that's the longest phone call my wife has had about her drinking whatever he was like tell me about it I told him about the business and he said sounds interesting and I said look I'd love to get you on a podcast do you would you do a podcast and he said yeah of course and I said I only do them in person which of course was bollocks but I knew I needed to get him get on his radar properly and he was like okay I said I can fly to Boston tomorrow and he's I'll be in Iceland in December and this is like a month away I was like perfect I'll see you there great cheers bye click Spartan in Iceland I wonder what that is and I was like oh fuck it's the Spartan ultra world championships now, I know for a fact, if you're going to get on the radar with somebody like Joe DeSena, you can't just go and show up there and be a spectator. You're going to have to actually do it. <laughs> so here I was entering the Spartan Ultra World Championships just to get on his radar. But if you look at all of the hoops, so we would fly to Iceland, go there, accidentally research and research to try and work out where the staff was staying. We surely enough ended up staying at the hotel he was staying at. In fact, we woke up, Joe is famous for doing 300 burpees in the morning. And um, I woke up about five o'clock in the morning and we could hear this dun, dun, upstairs. And Jen and I like, fucking hell, the Spartans really do their burpees in the morning, thinking maybe it was one of their staff. Surely enough, Joe DeSena in the room above us in the hotel doing his burpees in the morning. Anyway, so eventually we ended up creating, now we have a very solid friendship, but that all came through that part of networking with people and going the extra mile and not being presumptuous in the beginning. I could have shown him a deck or something like that, but I never would have built that kind of long-term relationship with him if I'd done that. I love this. And I don't want to ask this because I think you've told a story. I know you've told a story already, but the whole podcast is around you being the co-founder CEO of One Year No Beer. So leading into that, you've said before that Haribo, the sweet Haribo was what oh, yeah. got you started on going two years with no alcohol. Yeah. That's a, that, is that a headline story or is there some truth behind that? <laughs> it's the power of small steps and, and taking something incremental leads up to something very large. Our brains are hardwired to follow these neural pathways or that doesn't really make sense. The, the brains are wired to follow these neural pathways and they'll continue to follow them until they get knocked out of, of that sort of track and, and shown something different. And so I had this belief. I was, I wanted to change my relationship with alcohol. I wanted to have more willpower. I wanted to be able to change things in my life, but I just felt I've got no willpower. And there was this thing in my mind of I've got no willpower. And I hear people say it all the time. I've, I've just got no willpower. Um, and it's completely untrue because willpower is a muscle. Everybody has it to varying extents. Pardon me. And the thing is, like any muscle, you're not going to go down to the gym and start bench pressing 200 kilos straight away. You're going to go in there and start pushing some five kilo dumbbells to begin with, just to try and gently ease you in. And slowly over time, you're going to train yourself up until you can get onto those 200k bad boys, if that's what you want to do. So just like that with the willpower muscle, I was like, I have no willpower. What's something really small that I can do quite simply? Here's the fact. If somebody buys a bag of Haribo, I eat it. It's just, it's gone. It's like it, it magics itself into my stomach without even any thought process. And so I was like, I've got no willpower with Haribo. So what I did is I put the Haribo out on the keyboard in front of me at work. 
when I was an oil broker and I set my alarm for 15 minutes and the, the alarm would go off and it said, you have a choice. And so every 15 minutes it would go off and I'd look at one and I'd pick it up and I'd look at it and I'd go, no, I'm not going to eat that one right now. And then I'd wait for the next 15 minutes and I'd either choose to eat it or not. And within an hour, I'd changed this rhetoric in my brain that I had no willpower. And I really believe that started all the process of thinking, what else can I change? What else can I improve? Because I'm trying to deliberately attack these rhetorics in my head. Yeah. Yeah, no, solid. And this whole one year no beer uh, has turned into a rather successful business. I've noticed on your LinkedIn over the last couple of months, you've been hiring different, different people. But you've said publicly before that you went four years without taking a single penny from the business. When you started this, how did you plan to turn such a like simple idea into a business? And was there a, could you see a revenue stream when you first sat down and started this? I, whatever you would do, I wouldn't go and do whatever I did. Just, let's just, I can't wait to write the book of 10,001 things not to do when starting your own business. And then after that, I'll do 10,001 things not to do when scaling your own business. Perhaps I'll be the only honest CEO out there. Like, <laughs> here's all this shit not to do that I've done. Please don't do that. So yeah, um, overexcited, overpassionate right in the beginning. I wanted to have this massive impact in the world as per the left of Richard Branson. And I thought we could do that by giving it away for free. And I pushed really hard against the others to, to make sure that it was free. And it ran up massive personal bills. I mean, over a hundred thousand of my own money in the first year wow. of trying to get this thing to, to really go. And I guess I was extremely fortunate to be in a very high paid job that I was doing alongside this that enabled me to invest that kind of money um, into the project. And in the early days, people said to me, when that first year, people would say to me, Ruri, you don't have a business. You have a very expensive hobby at helping people get sober. And um, so this was right. And you know, fortunately, towards the end of that year, we tested charging for it. And it showed that people engaged in more for that skin in the game. So of course, they had better outcomes. And that really gave us the, 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 the fruit to, to explore that. So in the early days, when we were sitting down with ideas, we were thinking something huge about positive psychology. I've been reading positive psychology and self-help books since I was 12 years old. And with there's something really big about here that's going to move more into the corporate space. And we were coming up with all these ideas. And the one thing that we had in common, Andy and I, was that we'd both stopped drinking and it impacted our lives so hugely. And also that there was just nothing out there. There was nothing out there that supported us guys um, to change our relationship with our course, how we felt. And so we thought, yes, we thought it could be big in the beginning. We thought this will be big. There's so many people drinking, blah, 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 blah. And we always saw it as our Trojan horse. As I went through this first year, this, this second year, you mentioned it a bit earlier. After a, a feature on BBC World News in over 200 countries, I had the fortunate experience of getting to meet the Dalai Lama. And for me, that's when all of my life made sense. I, I talk about that and I say, it was just like, there were some moments that happened that weekend that connected everything. The recurring nightmares when I was growing up, just the hell I went through, the failed startups, the left to Branson, everything. And I was like, this is why I was put on the planet. And when I was traveling back on the plane from there, I was like, I feel almost like I am the vehicle and the conduit of this movement. And I have a duty now to go and hand in my notice and be fully strapped into one year no beer. 
I, I meet so many people and I say, this is not like just a business for me. I'm not just doing a business. This is who I am. Um, and I really truly believe that we are going to have a very big impact in the world. I said my letter to Richard Branson at 14 years old. <laughs> so that, awesome. that is what very much drives me. And I think the, the, the uniqueness of that is, uh, is that I have done everything wrong Literally, I almost feel like one of those robotic hoovers. Mm. And the first time you put it down, what it has to do is bump into every single obstacle in your house at least once before it knows the right path. And I feel like that's how I've gone about business. Every I, single mistake. Can I counter that though? Because I actually yes. don't, I don't think you, you entirely have because... Uh, a lot of the things that you've done there's people out there that are still doing them and I know the purpose of your business is to help those people the most but I've got to give you huge respect and tip my hat to you because at one point in your life uh, your wife left you and brought herself and her daughter back to Sweden you're, de you're then looking at two forks in the road the fork of her loss I'm going to go back to the pub and keep drinking and I can make big money as a broker or now I'm doing this for them and to subsequently sort myself out as well not everyone chooses the path that you chose so i do got to give you massive respect for that and and not only that then you have got a huge job and dedicated the last you know half decade and i'm sure you'll do more than half a decade of helping several other thousand people in changing their relationship with alcohol millions Millions. There you go. Millions. So yeah, massive respect to you. That's for what that. all the investment is. That's what all the, we've been, we've spent a lot of time now, last two years getting ourselves ready to really scale this. And we are very close. We are almost at that tipping point where we can start to push this very, very hard. Every single investor, every country we've spoken to, every they say the same thing. Every industry, there's a massive problem. There's a massive problem here in my country. There's a massive problem here. We're talking about one and a half billion people who drink at a hazardous level. And as I've said to investors, we really need 2% of that market to be valued at a billion. So we don't even need to be the biggest. There'll be a huge shift into this space in time and we are absolutely the front runner. I think this category will become as big as diet. So just because alcohol is not going away. You're right. With my podcast, the typical way, and we spoke before this, that I'll lay out the podcast is I'll do a fair bit of research on the person. I'll dive into our social media accounts, listen to previous podcasts. And then I structure it around a number of base questions. And one of the base questions sometimes that I include is what's a commonly held belief about your business or role that you passionately disagree with? And I feel like that question was specifically purpose made for you. So I'm throwing the ball to you. What's a commonly held belief about your role that you passionately disagree with? Well, the, the, everyone's assumption, most people's assumption who don't know about one Yonobia think it's for people who have a problem with drinking. And that's because the whole of society has been educated to believe that the only people who need or want to change their relationship with the alcohol are people who have a problem, who have gone off the deep end. And so it created this divide in society where you are either okay, you could be drinking 10 pints a day and be okay and still going into work, or you're one of them, one of those people who's dropped off the edge, become an addict, an alcoholic, you're one of them over there. 
and there was this black and white either or and we're nothing like that we're at prevention so we help anyone we help people who drink three glasses of wine a week and we help them totally transform their lives because alcohol is having such a detrimental impact on most people's life they just have no idea until they change their relationship with it so the belief is that people need to have a problem to change their relationship with alcohol and that's what i strongly challenge and what we present to people is it doesn't matter how much you drink it will probably change your life if you come and change your relationship with it and that's where we're the experts i'm sure there's people that you look up to i know you've touched on writing the letter to branson and the hopes that you'll get out there at some stage in the future but are there any books you read podcasts you listen to mentors that you look up to to seek advice from yourself for being a uh, hope for so many you're as you are lots Tony Robbins has been a long time favorite of mine. I first woke and read Awaken the Giant within when I was in my teens. And what a slog that was. No, I listened to lots of Tony's tapes and things like that. So to Tony was a big inspiration for me. Zig Ziglar was a great selling inspiration for me. Today, who do I listen most to? I think mentors are the ones that we get to read books from and we get to listen to podcasts and things like that are really important but so is you know the more closer mentors and coaches and I think that having a coach or having a business mentor is absolutely critical and if you don't have one get one and I've been at times I've either been I've struggled to find the right one for the stage of the journey because of course you can have a mentor and then you can out you've outdone your mentor you've you've had your time together and it's time to move on so I've just onboarded a new chairman a few weeks ago we've been working together now for the last 3 months and it's such an enormous relief to have that support there entrepreneurship is very lonely there are often difficult decisions to be made which can make you feel even more lonely and having a mentor or coach there is critical so yeah Great answer. For anyone who this is their first time of hearing of One Year No Beer and, and they're thinking, hey, when this podcast finishes, I'm going to click the link in the comment field below to check out the website. Uh, I'm sure you've been flooded with, I don't know if the right word is success stories, but we'll call it that. I've been fortunate to be standing next to people when they go up to others and say, you've saved my relationship with my wife. Yeah etc 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 i'm sure you've had stories where you've changed people's lives save relationships i know you've saved your own can you tell me some of the success stories that you've got over the years i just want to say that i used to have a life of an oil broker and whilst i fully respect and have nothing against the guys who do that job making a lot of money it just wasn't for me mm -hmm. and it wasn't for me because whilst i was very good at it I did nothing for no one. I made money for myself. And here, every single day, I get tagged in a post or posts or stories where people say, you've changed my life. And I get onto calls with investors and they are just like, I just want to say just the most amount of gratitude for how much you've changed my life, my family's life. You've, hearing that, and the truth behind it and the pain that was behind it and before and that we've enabled that is what it's absolutely the fuel of my existence and i wouldn't go back to any other life any other way i couldn't 
now that I've had a taste of help, what it is to help people. And so you, you said, what are some of the success stories? We've had people who've lost five stone. We've had a lady who was 10 years of anxiety medication, seeing psychotherapists, doctors, GP for her anxiety, 90 odd days into our challenge. And she's, I've stopped on my meds. I've never felt such a reduction in anxiety. And she wasn't drinking that much. She was drinking half a glass of wine a day. And that's just how much anxiety alcohol can cause the brain. It's a depressant. And yet we're not told about this stuff. We've got, I can't remember his name in, in Dubai, Mark in Dubai, who five rounds of IVF. Think how painful that is. Unsuccessful. And they said, look, I'm really sorry, mate, but your swim count is just too low. You're not going to get pregnant naturally. A hundred odd days into our challenge and they're, and they're pregnant naturally. They've now given birth to that baby, called her Amber. And that was, that is just phenomenal. Why aren't more people told about that? In fact, mm. I posted into our community and I said, hey, what one reason would you give somebody to change their relationship with alcohol in 2021? And there were over 500 comments within, within 24 hours, of which 200 were unique. Unique, mm. low blood pressure, heart rate reduced, cholesterol reduced, right? Those are the health-based ones. I've got my relationship back. We feel in love like we've never had before. You know, sober sex is more intimate and more loving than it ever was. Okay, so relationships. It goes on, my hair, my, I look 10 years younger. Many women right now are spending hundreds of pounds on, on creams to try and look younger when all they have to do is take a break from alcohol. And none of this is really out there. And this is what the message is that we want to say. There are business owners and entrepreneurs here. We had the world's most, one of the world's top productivity experts come and take our challenge. And he said, after the challenge, 90 days, he said, Ruri, I've spent the last decade searching for two to 5% productivity upgrades. You just gave me a 20% upgrade. And again, yeah. I wasn't even drinking that much. A very successful entrepreneur in the UK said to me, Ruri, I've just realized I spent the last five years operating on 80%. Guys, listening, ladies, would you like 20% more, 20% more focus, more clarity, more energy, more productivity, more calmness, more resolution, more re resilience, less anxiety? Would you like to sleep better, feel healthier, get fitter? This is the one thing. And that's the message that we're saying. And so whenever I speak to somebody, they say, oh, I don't really drink that much anyway. Great. Do it. If it doesn't take much to do, why not see if this is going to do it for you? I'm not sure I could do it. That's why we created a program. Come and let us help you. All you have to do is step over the line. But to everybody who's regularly drinking, whether you do this now or later, when there's more health pushing from scientists, which is coming, there's labeling on bottles, which is coming. What are they going to say? You are eight times more likely to commit suicide if you drink this, right? Or what about your guarantee? You are, this is an absolute cause of cancer. It's, you know, what about all mm -hmm. these labels that are coming? Are you going to wait to then to change your relationship with alcohol? Or are you going to be a leader? Are you going to be somebody who's ahead of the curve and think, you know what, 2021, this is the thing I'm going to do for myself. I'm just going to do this one thing because I reckon it might impact every area of my life. It's called One Year No Beer. The website's oneyearnobeer.com, but I'm sure many people start on the 28-day challenge only exactly. doing that, and that leads them to the 19th of the year. Is that correct? Yeah. 
that's exactly it. Start with the baby steps and see it go on. Not everybody goes to the year. Lots of people are quite happy with the 90 day um, and the 28 days, the taster. As well as that, there's free trials available on the site. You've got your own book yep. with over 400 reviews on Amazon and you've got a podcast as well. So there's plenty of resources there to dabble, to explore more. But two final questions for you today, Rory. One is, uh, I don't know if you live in a house or apartment, I can't tell, but if you're, I want you to pretend your loved ones, that includes the dog that I just saw, your wife, your kids, uh, they're all safe, but your apartment slash house is burning down and you can save one item only. What one item is that? I'd probably have my phone with me anyway. Because <laughs> I need to be able to continue operating. Um, yeah. One item, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm either taking my phone or my laptop with me. <laughs> Fair. I'd like you to imagine it's the end of the decade, so it's now 2030, and you're looking back on the last nine to ten years. What would you like to be looking back? You can answer personally, professionally, or a combination of both. So wind forward 10 years and I'm looking back. Yep. I think I'm just feeling enormous gratitude that I got to be, I was the person chosen, I know that sounds like a crazy word, to be able to do what I am doing and have the impact that I inevitably had. I see the future of One Year No Beer and we have such a positive impact in the world. We change millions of lives. And of course, we've talked mostly about alcohol during this podcast, but behavior change is behavior change. Reconnecting society over the common goal of behavior change, it doesn't matter whether it's sugar, caffeine, porn, gaming, gambling, social media. That's really the bigger picture of what we're up to. If you haven't heard of One Year No Beer, you have now, and you absolutely will again very soon. Excellent. Rory, from my end... Thank you very much for the last 40, 45 minutes. It's been very enjoyable to get to know you a little bit more and I wish you all the best going forward. Thank you, Ian. Thank you very much.